welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm good, but we don't have time for that. Oh. We have a hard out today. We do. Yeah. We have a hard out. Um, I will say, here's my topic of the show, top of the show topic. What's that? Two sentences, which is, I can't wait till more people have seen Jason Reitman's Labor Day because I want to talk about it so bad because right. I saw it today. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's, I'm pretty much saying it's not good, okay. but it's a movie that I want to talk about with people. Although I already get the impression it's going to be, it's going to be forgotten by awards time. It's going to be one that has an awards push, but is going to get just sort of blocked out by everything else. Based on everything I hear about it, including what you told me about it pre-show, it has a, str- it has a, uh, a paper boy vibe to me. <laughs> and you didn't see the paper boy, did paper you? Boy. Did our, did it's our not- guests see it? No, he did not. He could have just shook his head. That's fine. <laughs> no, I like Damn that it. leaning in like it, like yeah. you're at a deposition or, or whatever. <laughs> just, just uh, you know, looking at your lawyer. I don't, I, oh, okay. Uh, People uh, can't no, see you no, covering I them. I know, but that's for you guys. Uh, um, speaking but of, it's uh, not feverish. No, yeah, and, Labor Day. It's actually quite. It's almost somnambulant. This oh. movie, but uh, but not in a boring way. I was never bored at all. Mm-hmm. In the, it's nearly two hours long. I was not bored at all. I still don't think it's a good movie, but it was not the movie I was expecting, and I can't wait to talk about it with more people. Yeah, I sure wasn't bored during Paperboy. <laughs> um, yeah, and speaking of, uh, uh, here's my top of the show discussion, also two sentences. Uh, speaking of talking about movies, uh, David has seen Man of Steel. Now, this is several months old at this point. So about five months old? Yeah. yeah. But we're not going to talk about it on this episode. We're not going to talk about it on the next episode. We will talk about it on episode 350. Yeah. And I can't wait to hear. And the way David framed it was, if we, we certainly can't talk about it if we, ever ha- if we have a hard out at any time. Because right. you could devote a whole day to talking about that film. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. I really, really disliked it. It's a, it's a shame that... To uh, put it mildly. It's a shame that you were not, uh, you were not there for the... Uh, the official BP discussion with Mike C yeah, and Pat yeah, Francis. Couldn't make it. So, okay, moving on. All right. Um, so in addition to tweakedaudio.com, which is um, where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at a low, low price. And if you go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get those for one third off and you, you don't have to pay any shipping charges. In addition to that, we have a sponsor this week. Our sponsor this week is Deferred, a new documentary currently in pre-production about the student loan debt crisis. The producers of Deferred have launched a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo and have until December 4th to raise $15,000 to finance the film. We have over $1.2 trillion in student loan debt as a nation. The average balance is nearly $27,000, and more and more borrowers are struggling to repay their loans. The crushing debt keeps young people from buying houses and cars and even prevents people from getting married, moving out of state, or pursuing their dreams. Meanwhile, the government scores record profits on the backs of students while tuition rates have climbed more than 900% over the last 30 years. Default rates are higher than ever before, and the burden gets passed on to the taxpayer. With more than $76 billion past due, this could be our next national economic crisis. The system needs reform, and getting the word out is a big part of that, but we can't do it without your help. Help help fund Deferred at Indiegogo today. Every dollar helps, and as a verified nonprofit, each donation is tax-deductible. There are some great perks for donating, including a digital download of the completed film, personal thank yous, your name in the credits, or even the chance to submit an interview question. Visit DeferredMovie.com or click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com to find out how to help fund this film. All right. All right. Very so, excited. Um, here's our topic today. Uh, we 
just we're just days away, less than forty eight hours past the end of this year's AFI Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Is it? We'll get to that in a second. Um, as usual, Scott and I covered it for Battleship Pretension, and so it only makes sense that he's here to talk about it. I also saw some stuff there. You sure did. But, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Scott and I. Hello, everybody. Glad yeah, to be here. Like I said, I saw some stuff, but you had the press bed. You were covering... I was there, ma'am. You were covering this. Solid week. Yeah. Were, you, were you there for us? Yeah. Hey, all right. I've already written two articles on the website <laughs> that are already posted. No, I know that, but I just, I wasn't sure if you were there of your own accord and were doing us the favor of writing for us. Oh, yeah, that is definitely also true. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Just but I guess you don't follow sure. Scott on Twitter because I saw sure. the picture of your badge before I even saw it. Oh, I guess not. Yeah. I think I do follow you, but I, I kind of just skim over. Yeah. What, which is to say I jump over your tweets just to the next oh, one. Oh, okay. Got me blocked. So, I exactly. Just, exactly. <laughs> so I can look and be like, oh, Tyler follows me yeah. without any sort of effect whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, but we have, a, we have a hard out today. So sure do. we're not going to do, you've been on the show before. We're not doing any get to know you yeah. type stuff. People know me. Yeah. Let's just start talking about the festival. But let's talk about the festival in general first. Yeah, well, this, first off, yeah. what, what is the official name of it? Is it AFI Fest or is oh, it the man. AFI Film Festival? I think they officially wanted us to say at least once that the AFI Film Festival presented by Audi. <laughs> right. <laughs> Audi is very important. They keep the tickets free every year. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and that, like, th- that is a, it's a double-edged sword, the free tickets. Thing. It sure is. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I love that I saw a bunch of movies uh, for free, but it's also kind of harrowing and fraught, like yeah. trying to, because having tickets doesn't, guarantee you anything no. you still even if you buy them online you still have to go pick them up yeah. which the the one thing that i will again afi fest is great thank you for <laughs> letting scott cover but you gotta put the box the the festival box office somewhere where it's findable this like, year is a little bit better last year is on like the fourth floor where nobody goes of the hollywood and highland complex well this one now i guess uh, during festival happenings it was pretty easy to tell what the box office yeah. was because there were lines there but i went before oh yeah to pick up my tickets and i'm walking around the hollywood nyland festival <laughs> and i went like into the the chinese theater box office and i was like do you know where the box office is and she was like yeah it's on the second floor go downstairs and go to your right but it's it is on the second floor you go downstairs you go to your right and then down there where you think there's no way it's possibly all the way down there <laughs> it sure is that's where the the festival box office is that's my only complaint really about the yeah uh the the thing the, those those free tickets can make it uh anyway it's now, great i don't but remember, it is difficult i feel like one of you either tweeted or retweeted that the like the unofficial name of afi fest should be oh i didn't get in or no something my, like it wasn't my, me. my joke was that his slogan okay. is afi fest you're probably not getting in. that's the one <laughs> yes yes <laughs> depends on the screening some stuff i went to is like half full but yeah i mean i got shot out of a couple things too well yeah we'll get we'll, we'll get to that yeah, yeah. Um, so often because i have one that i was really surprised i thought for sure i was late coming from something else i thought for sure i wasn't gonna make it and i walked right into a movie that yeah. i thought ended up being my favorite thing i saw at the festival oh, great uh, and anyway, but we'll get to that when we get to Friday. Let's go chronologically and start with the first thing you saw, which was, I guess, the opening night film, yeah. which was Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, as with last year, as with the past two years, actually, I only went to one gala, and the galas are the big to-dos of Oscar movies they show every year. They show one each night, and they're kind of like the big fall release that they're left at this point anyway. Yeah. Um, and so I went to the opening night film, which was Saving Mr. Banks, and that was one that I also almost didn't get into just because the lines were huge. I went there two hours early, and it was still like... 
around. I mean, this makes no sense to anyone who doesn't live in Hollywood, so it doesn't matter. But it, there were really long lines. Um, <laughs> but l- thankfully, they opened. We like, we like specificity in this podcast. <laughs> okay, when... if you go to the Hollywood Highland Center, it's mostly an outdoor facility. But uh-huh. then there's a part where it gets really outdoors. And I was in the really outdoors I part. See, see. There was no heating there. So, um, so yeah, luckily, they opened some other theaters for the overflow crowd. And I saw Saving Mr. Banks there which is a film that I liked a lot and is very easy for me to get defensive about because I feel like... <laughs> You're already anticipating people yeah. liking it. <laughs> well, because... I'm, I'm looking to enjoy it. I feel, I, I well, you're Disneyland. a Disney guy. Yeah, yeah I you know. You're, like me, I think you're more now, automatically inclined towards who's, it. Who's the director behind uh, uh, John Lee Hancock. I like that guy. That's right. The Alamo. That's, yeah. You know what? Well, it, I, that's one that you and I get. <laughs> the Alamo. Yeah, well, I think that's... I think that's more a case of... People not... Not, not if people have seen. Fair enough. I, I sure people, didn't. People wrote off that movie because it, it had that. We're already off on a tangent. <laughs> it had the backstory of it was supposed to be the like two hundred million dollar Ron Howard Russell Crowe the Alamo. Yeah. And Disney said we're not paying that much for the movie, and Ron Howard and Russell Crowe walked, and so it, it had this, this, uh, this feel. I think of being like the Second poor rate. man's. Yeah, yeah, a, a, a copy. Uh, but it is John Lee Hancock's. The Alamo is a really, really great film. I never saw The Blind Side. Yeah, John Lee Hancock's The Blind Side is not good. Okay. I like The Rookie, I will though. leave it at that. Oh, okay. The Rookie's a good one. Okay, go okay. back to Saving Mr. <laughs> um, yeah, well, starting with as a director, you know, for the first, like, half hour, I almost felt like he was also shooting for the full-frame version of the movie, even though it's shot in 235. Uh-huh. There were so many shots that were just, like, a person's head isolated against nothing. Uh-huh. And so it felt a little sloppy to me to begin with. But then the film eventually moves into this flashback structure that I think he handles really well. And he dissolves between the past and the present in a way that's not clunky in a way. It, you know, sometimes those framing devices can seem very clunky. And this one wasn't. And uh, for those who don't know, it's about the making of Mary Poppins. And that whole process is very interesting, I felt, and very uplifting, I felt. Um, and it celebrates kind of the ridiculousness of Hollywood, not denying the fact that it's all like a big money-making machine. But that that can be kind of great and inspiring in the meantime, not that... They're just chasing money, but they're chasing something that will have mass appeal to audiences. And I think they tap into that really well, especially in regards to Tom Hanks' performance as Walt Disney. I think he really nails both kind of the caustic business side of Disney and also the guy who just wants to make great movies. Um, did you ever see the documentary about the Sherman Brothers? I no, I did The Boys? Uh, I heard good things about it. Me too. I never saw it either. But uh, that was where I first heard in reading about that documentary when that came out, what, five years ago or whatever, was where I first heard that there had been, it had been, not been an easy road making yeah. Mary Poppins. And they definitely downplay it, especially, I mean, the author P.L. Travers hated the film, like, throughout her entire life. And they kind of downplayed that, the aftermath of it. But uh-huh. um, up to then, I think they're properly uh, suspicious of the whole endeavor. Um, so, yeah, on the whole, I really liked it. It isn't like a secret genius movie. If it doesn't look like the kind of movie you'd enjoy, you probably won't enjoy it. But... If you think it might have a chance, then I'd say go see it when it comes out in December, I think. Scott, okay. let me ask you this. Okay. <laughs> I know we've all got places to be, but having not seen a single film at AFI Fest, I got to get in where I can. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it is being released, you know, during Oscar season. It's getting some Oscar buzz primarily for actress and supporting actor, but for a number of other things as well. Having now seen it, uh, what do you what do you think its chances are as far as like nominations and such? Yes, I'm asking partially as a result <laughs> of the uh, the fantasy Oscar draft of which you are a part. Yeah, well, I, I picked that f- film for screenplay, and I think that's a solid pick. Okay. I think it'll get some nominations <laughs> along the way, if not the win, if it ends up taking off in some way. Um, 
And I think Emma Thompson will definitely get a nomination. And okay. I'm mad I didn't pick her earlier on in the Oscar draft because she was like left towards the end, I feel like. Who do you got for best stuff. actress? I can't pronounce her. It's the chick from <laughs> Blue is the Warmest Color. Yeah, you really. Okay. Uh, I don't like that word, by the way. Oh, uh, well. Chick. Blue. It's, um, <laughs> I, yeah, use, it's... I use like dude. What's that? I use it like dude. <laughs> I'd see that would have been if you had said it's the dude from right. See, how about broad? Anybody like broad? <laughs> Dame? No, I like votes. You know what me. I do like is gal. I oh. will say gal. You know what? That does not work for me. Uh, yeah, that's. I think I pull it off. It's you, you pull it off, admittedly. <laughs> you know what? I thought because you watched Sons of Anarchy, and oh. you and you started to say gal. No, I would never. I, like, don't even, well, I don't want to go any further. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. But I, no. my first, I was like. Where is he going with this? Oh, yeah. but, uh, um, but yeah, so I'm, uh, I mean, I was very excited to see it and then, uh, come to my, you know, much to my surprise, not everybody was excited to see it as I was because yeah. not everybody's as into Disney as I was, but you found it very touching. Yeah. I mean, I linked to it in my article, but or in my review of the movie, but I wrote an article last year on Oscar bait and how I think that Oscar bait is totally fine and whatever their intentions are, are perfectly fine by me as long as the film works. And to me, the film works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think uh oscar bait i i don't know uh i i don't think i read your thing so maybe i'm <laughs> repeating something you already said but i see an episode emerging <laughs> it seems manufactured more from the uh the higher ups in in the company trying right. to admit, whereas i think in most cases i don't think that a screenwriter or a director or an actor is going for an oscar they happen to be in a movie that's being that's going to be right, made for that reason, but everything is made for some gonna, financial gonna advantage. advantage. Or going to be advertised toward that. Yeah. Yeah. From the yeah. acting standpoint, I could see not the actor going for an Oscar, but I could see his agent and manager saying, oh, sure. Hey, this is the kind of part that could get <laughs> right, you this. Right, right. And actually, especially okay. in this case, the screenplay was written totally independently. It was written as a spec script and Disney bought it up at first thinking they would just bury it. So nobody else could make it. Um, <laughs> and then eventually somebody decided, Hey, there's a movie here. Um, all right, uh, let's move on to Friday then, and let's move on to the film Closed Curtain. Yeah. Uh, you don't need your list. I have your list right here. <laughs> oh, I gotta look ahead and, you know, plan my thoughts. Which, oh, speaking of looking ahead, Tyler, you may not have seen anything at AFI Fest, but there is a movie on here that you have seen. Yeah. Don't you tell me about my life. <laughs> okay. Which one is it? Nebraska. Oh. So we will, you will get to talk about Nebraska. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> all right, closed curtain. But for now, what yes. Uh, for those who don't know, the Iranian director, Jafar Panahi, was arrested, I think, three years ago at this point, um, largely for just making films that the government of Iran didn't like, mm-hmm. and has been under house arrest ever since. And he's made now two movies, even though he's been banned from making films for the next, I guess at this point, 17 years. Um, and the second one he's made is this film called Closed Curtain, which is, for the most part, somewhat of a metaphor for his situation of being trapped in a house with nowhere to go. It's about this writer who basically kidnaps his dog as a means of saving it because in Iran, they're really trying to uh, prevent people from having dogs out on the streets. And so they've been rounding up stray dogs and basically killing them. Wow. So this guy and this, yeah, this is the thing that's really happening. And they show news footage and it's horrifying, of course. Um, so this yeah. guy uh, takes this dog and basically shuts himself and the dog up in this house. Uh, and the dog is magnificent, by the way, not only adorable, but gives a great dog performance. Um, and then it slowly transforms into being much more about Jafar Panahi than it is about this guy and the dog. And it becomes much less interesting from there. And I don't want to give too much away because there's something of a reversal midway through the film. But once he starts moving away from the metaphor and towards like, this is really about my life, it starts to get a little too... I don't want to say egotistical for a guy in his position, but it kind of feels a little too much. Hmm. 
I, I'm a big fan of Jafar Panahi, although I never saw it. This is not a film. I didn't either. I missed it. I'm upset I did. I believe it uh, just popped up on Netflix Watch Instant. Uh, oh, that's interesting because, yeah. yeah, he actually had to smuggle that film out of the country in a cake and was right. encouraging people to download it illegally for a long time. So I'm glad it's now awesome. more widely available. I think the first one of his I saw was The Circle. That's him, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then there is... Offside was kind of his last... That was the last right. movie he made before he was arrested. there was Crimson Gold. Is that him? Is I that don't him? know. I think that... Uh, anyway, I like, I, like, I like him. All right. Uh, the Circle's a really great movie. Um, all right, next movie, Congratulations, which I was not able to get free tickets for. It already said it said sold out, um, which is why I ended up going to see the thing I saw Friday night, which I ended up loving. So we'll get to that in a second. All right. But uh, I wanted to see Congratulations, so... Rub it in. Tell me how, how uh, great it was. I can't say you missed much. Um, uh, it was an interesting debut feature, but it kind of has the problem that a lot of debut features do that you see at festivals where it feels like an extended short film. Um, he has a great idea, which is kind of taking the investigation to a missing child and turning it into the surreal, almost like airplane meets Boonwell situation. Uh-huh. And he has some great surreal humor along the way, but it drags so much in the middle that it feels like it would have been better off as like even just a long short, like 30 minutes or so. What's, feel, what's the name of the director? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. I think Mike Brune. Okay. Um, does, uh, does it have the thing? Cause I know one of the reason I wanted to see it is cause I'm, I gravitate towards things that are described as dark comedy. Yeah. Uh, but does it have that young filmmaker thing of maybe trying a little too hard? to be oh to be no dark? no i didn't feel like okay. i felt like there are some that's what I, that's where i thought you were going with no that. no actually there are some darker moments but i think he keeps a certain like i don't want to say ironic because that brings up hipster things but <laughs> the actual meaning of the word ironic he keeps some ironic distance right. to it i think that you're in a safe zone here <laughs> well the listeners maybe you know maybe they hear ironic and like, oh god <laughs> i i i use the word irony now to mean what it means without, okay, without thinking about the whole, like <laughs> the idea of ironic t-shirts and stuff right like yeah um uh well then i'll i'll move on to the thing i saw friday night which i walked right into uh didn't think i'd be able to because i'd heard good things after toronto and can is i think where it first played but uh an american uh film called blue ruin mm. which is uh i won't i won't tell you too much of the plot because it goes well here's what i'll tell you okay there's a guy he's homeless uh, you find out that he has been homeless for about 15 years or so since when he was a teenager, his parents were murdered. And he kind of just left because he still had a sister who went on to have a normal life to marry and have kids. He couldn't deal. It, like, I guess, broke him or whatever. He dropped out of society. He lives in his car, in a car. He's a homeless gentleman. Um, <laughs> and then he finds out. Through, still a gentleman, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, a cop in the local town who's sort of friends with him, lets him know that the guy who murdered his parents is getting out of prison. So he decides to go kill that guy. And, um, that's only the beginning of the premise. It, it, uh, it, it goes, it goes from there, but not in a way where it's sort of spinning off and like, uh, like it's crazy. It has a very sort of deliberate pace, you know, where it, it, like it, 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 it seems, it, it feels like it never really picks up or loses speed. Uh, but in a way that I really like, where it gives just as much time to um, to, to to smaller things. Uh, like I, I, I'm trying to give examples, but I don't want to spoil <laughs> what happens in the movie. Um, it gives as much time to smaller things as it does to the big action uh, set pieces. But really, it's I read one review uh, after watching it that compared it to Munich, which I actually like because it's a it's a very violent movie about um, revenge. 
violent revenge that's actually very anti-violent and anti-vengeance. I like that. It's sort of it's it's showing you that you know violence begets more violence, and there's never any way to yeah. to put you know to to close the circle and 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 wrap it all up. See, and uh, I I actually don't agree with that. If you kill. <laughs> everyone <laughs> no one left to kill problem you. solved um so it is an it's a movie that is anti-violence but it is also really really bloody that sounds great and it, it yeah it is great and you know who was in it an actor who will come up again an actor named devin rattray hey all right who played uh as a as a youngster he played buzz in home alone uh-huh. uh, he's also in nebraska and he's great yeah. in Nebraska. He is. He is great in Nebraska. You have to remind me who he played in Nebraska because uh, I don't know. He's who one that of Rance Howard's two sons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cool. That film comes out next year, though. So for people who don't know, they will have a chance to see it. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad it has a release date because yeah, Blue Rune was a big. Again, it was a second choice for me. Yeah. And it ended up being the big, uh, my favorite thing that I saw at the festival. Awesome. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Uh, let's move on to Saturday then. Yeah, Saturday began with The Wind Rises, the new film by, uh, is it Hayao Miyazaki? That's how I've always said it, but I don't know. That'll work. Um, how would Ed McMahon say it? That's <laughs> 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 um, Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this film is a departure from what he's normally known for, although I've only seen Spirited Away of all his films. Really? Um, yes, that is a true fact. I feel like you're a person who has seen more films than I have. I but, like to think I am, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but it is like you have some you have some blind spots there, as we all do. Yeah. But um, yeah, uh, he's awesome. So you should definitely check out. I've liked um, the two films of his I've seen. Uh, definitely check out My Neighbor Totoro. Okay, that's really good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Wind Rises is not a fantasy, which is atypical for him. Um, it is about the guy who actually went on to create the fighter jets that attacked Pearl Harbor. <laughs> this fact is not addressed in the film though. So it's good to know that up front. Hmm. Um, and I kind of felt like that was, I mean, I know somebody will take me to task for this, but I felt like that was something they should have addressed in the film because the whole movie is about this guy who just wants to make beautiful airplanes. And it's about the whole notion of creating beauty that also as a result, begets suffering and the comparison they bring up is like the Egyptian pyramids. They ask, you know, would you want to live in a world with the pyramids or without them? Um, so for them to ignore, you know, what arguably is the most immediate or identifiable suffering that he brought along as a result of his uh, ambition and drive was I felt a bit of a missed opportunity. That said, it's still a gorgeous movie and there's a surprising melodramatic twist in the middle. And it becomes kind of this melodrama about romance and love that becomes really effective. Hmm. In addition to the usually gorgeous animation and the themes I mentioned before. That sounds like that sounds I'm, I'm always fascinated by uh, somebody choosing to animate something that is not inherently, uh, doesn't, it wouldn't immediately call to mind. Like, oh, that should be animated. Right. No question about it. Um, it's one of the reasons that I like uh, the illusionist. Yeah. Um, and it kind of reminds me, of it, I, I'm sure it's very different, but it reminds <laughs> me of that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some, they have a lot of dream sequences, so there are fantastical mm. scenes in the movie, okay. but not in the usual With dragons sense. and magical creatures and Naturally. stuff. Naturally. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, let's move on to what I felt like was one of the most talked about films of the festival, Charlie Victor Romeo. Oh, you think so? I didn't I, hear many people talking about it, but... Um, really? Maybe it's because, uh, I don't know, LA Weekly did a write-up, like, they oh, did a write-up okay. of the festival, but then they also did a write-up specifically of that film. Oh, well, good so for them. So they chose it as a standout, so maybe that's why I went in thinking that. Yeah, it is a, I thought, a very good film. It takes uh the transcripts of black box recordings of real life aviation disasters 
and acts them out. Originally, in a uh, theatrical setting, it was a play first, and then they just film the play in 3D, which is an interesting and odd choice. Um, and then that's the movie. And especially it's an odd choice because it's not, from what I understand, it's not uh, an aesthetic, aesthetically ornate film. No, it's, it's very just... stripped down. It's a black box theater. Yeah. Right. All Do you, you... Okay. I'm sorry. Go uh, Keep going. Okay. Uh, no, all you see are the actors and, you know, a vague set that could be a control console in the airplane and some chairs. And that's the entire set. Is there um, any, either with the stage or the camera shaking around no thankfully no <laughs> like to, to signify the turbulence there are a lot of uh, sound effects and those kind of fill in the atmosphere okay. and i found it to be very intense and yeah very thrilling experience is it uh having not seen the film and only now hearing about it uh and i'm asking because i don't have a, a strong opinion does it seem vaguely exploitative the concept I guess you could say that, but it's done so like mournfully and dreadfully that like okay. you'd have a hard time saying they just are creating entertainment out of it. Okay. Because they set up initially by letting you know how many passengers are on board and giving you some, they give you like uh, blueprints and outlines and stuff of the circumstances of the disaster. So I feel like right up front, they're telling you that this, there's some bad stuff going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they obviously give like the final body count and all that stuff. And I mean, it's very, I felt it was very effective. So off the top of my head, it sounds as though what they are trying to accomplish with it, not to imply that every movie or anything needs to, you know, they're trying to do something beyond make a good movie. Um, but uh, the idea that, you know, we hear about disasters every day and it's and, and we just think like, oh, that's a shame, you know, unless it's someone we know that it happened to or we're in it ourselves. Uh, but in this case, it's trying to take these things that we may or may not know about, dramatizing them so that we feel like we're feel like we are seeing it firsthand and then with the body count saying like yeah this was a real thing that had real consequences like yeah off the top of my head it feels like that's what they're trying to do i have have a very i don't know why but i have a natural sensitivity to even if they're not trying to do anything uh that's just like all right let's turn this into entertainment part of me is like okay but now what are you what are you doing with this if not that like if you're trying to get something across yeah i feel like you can mostly draw your own conclusions because it's presented so simply okay. um in terms of the staging and then i mean all you see are exactly what the people actually said mm-hmm. um with with not a lot of embellishment i feel mm-hmm. um and yeah i feel like in some sense they are recognizing that there's a total these things and most of the disaster i mean i think the most recent one was from like 1995 mm. so it's not I don't. I mean, there's some distance there. I feel, yeah. um, where I guess you could also say that maybe the airlines are safer now than they were then. Yeah. Um, not just with security and stuff, like just like knowing how to make airplanes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I found. It, I mean, not just a very tense experience, but also a per, uh, suitably mournful one. See, I think maybe my problem with it is that they used uh, notable Los Angeles stand-up comedians to do it, like Drunk yeah. History. <laughs> and so I feel like maybe... That did kind of throw me okay. off. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, not too much. Um, all right, let's move on. Now, what, I had to go back because I forgot. We talked about a film called Congratulations, but I forgot to pronounce it correctly, which is <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, there's an so, exclamation point right there. So now the next one you saw was, We are the best. Yes. Well done, David. <laughs> um, and uh, it certainly earns its title. That was either the second best or tied with the best film I saw at the festival. Um, it's about uh, these three preteen to teenage girls. They're like 12 or 13 um, in Sweden. I think it's set in the 80s. They're not too direct about their uh, time period. But it, you get the sense just from the technology or lack thereof that 
it's not supposed to be current anyway. Um, it's about these three girls who start a punk band just kind of as a means of, uh, you know, all the things that people start bands for means of self-expression, but just as much because it was convenient for them because they were pissed off that some, uh, a, a real teenage band was disrupting their study session. <laughs> and so they decided to just take over their, uh, practice room and just start their own band. And it starts as just total nonsense, but eventually they start to build a song around it and they bring on this girl who's a really hardcore Christian and they kind of turn her, her to the punk side, but not in such a way that's like defiant of her perspective. She doesn't like reject God throughout the process of the movie. She still remains a Christian, but she just like embraces a little bit more wild side because she's a guitar player and she's just playing just classical guitar. And then they're like, hey, here's this other thing. And she becomes, I suppose, a more open minded person by the end without rejecting where she came from. Did I mean, is it an American movie? No, it's a Swedish movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, the whole audience was laughing, cheering. I went into it with a very bad attitude because some guy cut in line as I was walking in. And these three freaking 50-year-old white people who are the worst audience members in the world <laughs> were talking during the first half of the movie and kicking my seat. But eventually quieted them down and had a blast with the movie. How, so how did you go about quieting them down? Did you just shush them? I shushed them. Okay. And I turned to the guy and said, please stop taking my seat. And that did the trick. All right. Good for you. I, I had good some for you. problems. <laughs> we'll talk about it more when we get to Inside Lewin Davis at the end here. But I had some. <laughs> I had a number of different... Uh, I said that the AFI's only problem was where the box office is. No. But there is a certain... A couple of different problems with the attendees. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that in a bit. I did. There was a lot of cell phone usage. Ugh. Oh, I didn't um, see too much of that. But I said in, pretty close. In, in Blue Ruin. Well, no, there were a, a group of kids sitting to my left. I say kids, they're probably like college age. Yeah. But they were, I mean, I, I don't know for certain, but they were probably either drunk or high or both mm. based on the way they were watching. So, like I said, Blue Ruin is like, it's a really bloody movie. So when something like crazy bloody would happen, they'd be, they'd, they couldn't stop being like, oh man, oh God, <laughs> oh shit, man. Um, you so, really went like 60s hippie there. <laughs> that's kind of what they sounded like. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, the first year I was, I was at the festival, I was seeing the new Chantal Ackerman movie, which as you can imagine, was a very slow and deliberately paced movie. And there's these group of teenagers who are using their phones throughout the entire movie and eventually shamed them into leaving, which was so righteous. Um, now how did you do that? I just kept telling them, put away their cell phones and actually they left. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so no screaming in the theater. No, I didn't realize again, I may have missed when you said it, but we are the best is directed by Lucas Moodison. Right. Who is amazing. I actually um, don't know his work, so. Uh, well, the first thing I ever saw was called, uh, it was released in the U.S. under the name Show Me Love. Okay. Um, but the Swedish title was Fucking Amal, <laughs> which is that it takes place. I've definitely a, heard of that title. Yeah, it takes place in a town called Amal, and it's these. T- it's a teenage lesbian coming of age huh. love story, and they don't like their town. So I, that's how the movie's called Fucking Amal. But then he made a movie in 2002 called Lilia Forever that is one of the most beautiful and gut-wrenching and disturbing and audacious things it, it's cool uh, i'll check it out but i'm warning you it it will upset you it is an upsetting movie <laughs> but uh i'm a big fan of him yeah um, he has a real sensitivity i think towards teenage coming of age it's not exploitative or anything like that and i'm glad that he chose like preteen girls so he didn't even accidentally sexually exploit them you know uh-huh. just in Especially with the whole discussion around blue is the warmest color of like yeah. a male director's perspective on that. Yeah. I'm glad he came from a perspective where he didn't even have to worry about that. Um, let's move on to another director who works with kids. Um, 
Am I right? Like Father, Like Son, yeah. directed by Corrieta, yeah. uh, who did um, Nobody still, Knows. Oh, I haven't seen that. I saw Still Walking, though. I, I didn't see Still Walking. Oh, and uh, I Wish. I Wish, yeah. So I've seen amazing. Nobody Knows and I Wish, which are both about kids. Yeah. I don't know what Still Walking is about. There's uh, some kids involved. Okay. <laughs> well, both of uh, Nobody Knows and I Wish are almost entirely yeah. child casts. Uh, what's what's the deal with like father like son? Uh, like father like son, it, involves... it does it have anything to do <laughs> with Kurt Cameron or, or Dudley Moore? Or D- Dudley Moore, that's right. Yeah, I'm afraid I'm not getting this reference, but all right. There's a film <laughs> called Vice Versa. That's a joke, of course. Yeah. Uh, Vice but... Versa is the Judge Reinhold Fred and Savage. Fred Savage, one. yes. It was a body sw- body switching movies. Ah, Look, okay. you're a little bit younger than we are. I know. Yeah, yeah and the, I guess was it the mid to late '80s. There were a lot of body yeah. switching movies, <laughs> and one of them was called Life Father Like Son, and it starred Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron. Yeah. Well, that's a apt use of the title, I suppose. And so is this. It's about a uh, father and his wife, I suppose, but she's a more of a supporting character who discover that their son is not their own, and their real son was switched at birth with the son they've been bringing up, uh, and it. It's a Japanese movie, and so there are elements of sort of Japanese traditional attitudes towards family and towards uh, uh, offspring and stuff like that. But at the same time, this guy is presented as being ridiculously old-fashioned for, you know, feeling like his son is inadequate purely because he's not the son Mm -hmm. that he should have had. Um, And it eventually gets to be a little simplified, I thought. I I didn't think, like, his internal struggle was worth... It's not that they dismiss it, but I don't feel like it's a totally dismissible uh, feeling he has, especially since he's a really ambitious guy, you know, real type A personality. And the kid he's been bringing up is kind of there's signs that he's kind of faltering and not doing as well as his father expects him to. Um, And the other family that got their real son is kind of a lower class. Um, They're just like shopkeepers. And so there's some great class issues that they bring into the movie that eventually kind of go by the wayside but i still found it really affecting and touching and i'm glad uh, yeah it comes out early next year and i hope people check it out there was a somewhat recent israeli movie called the other son that was essentially the same hmm. premise where their son was accidentally raised in palestine in the oh wow <laughs> and then there they have the boy they've been raised yeah was you know biologically from palestinian parents but that went a little Got a little heavy-handed with. I can the, imagine, yeah, with really? that premise, <laughs> premise like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's already it a great like premise. A, it's too bad that they felt the need to go over the board. Seemed like yeah. a light romp to me. <laughs> Maybe even farcical. Um, all right, well, let's end Saturday the way that you and I ended Saturday. The yeah. film we we both saw at the same time. Although I don't know that I can fully say that I saw it because <laughs> I had a long day and the last twenty minutes of that movie or so. I and was, you were right up front. Yeah, I, I barely got in, and I was yeah. right up front. And this is not, it's not a theater like the Arclight, where yeah, in the front row is no problem. Like, I'm, I was really looking directly up at the screen, which mm. is difficult for a movie with subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was I had a really long day, and the last 20 minutes or so, I was kind of not paying very close <laughs> attention to the movie anymore. Which it's, is fine, because nothing happens in the movie. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it's called When Evening Falls on Bucharest or Metabolism. And I really wanted to see it because it's directed, directed, I'm not going to try to say his name. Yeah. The initials are Got CP, me. Cornelio, <laughs> but anyway, uh, is a Romanian director, but he made 1208 East of Bucharest, which is an awesome movie. Okay. Um, uh, that is, uh, I guess, similarly unadorned, though not as stripped bare as, <laughs> as this one, uh, but has, but is very funny in a very dry way. And I felt like the first, maybe even up to the first half, but at least like the first half hour, of when evening falls on Bucharest, I was really enjoying it. I was laughing a lot. Um, 
it, it, but in in ways that it's it's not overtly comedic. But they're in some ways it is though. I mean, I don't think I give it enough credit when we talked about it immediately afterwards. Um, I like the fact that they're basically taking a screwball comedy premise because like so many weird things happen to the guy and uh, he gets himself into trouble that he really doesn't need to, and it has kind of a screwball comedy. If you looked at the plot, you would think it's a screwball comedy. Uh-huh. But every the, what is the plot? Say that. Um, it's about this director who's started an affair with the actress of his new film. Uh, and along the way, I can't even remember how all the medical stuff factor ends up factoring in, but he ends up lying about his medical history. I think just to excuse himself from like not showing up that morning or something. Yeah. Well, I think the impetus is that he wants to write in a nude scene for her. Right. And he sort of drops it on her. And then I, so I think he decides to show, not show up at work to work on that scene. I That's guess. That's right. Yeah. And, and not only work on it in the script, but also can work on convincing her on how to do right. it. Um, and then, yeah, fakes and it like tells the, the production company or whatever yeah. that he can't direct today because he's sick. And so then it turns into this whole thing. We have to keep up, keep up the lie. Right. Uh, yeah, so yeah, you're right. When you describe it, it is a screwball comedy, <laughs> but there are maybe a dozen shots in the entire Yeah, every movie. scene is one shot only. Yeah. Um, and so it gets very tedious very quickly. Uh, but I, I like the actor. I especially like the actress who plays the actress. Yeah, she was good. Because um, there's a couple of things of her running through the nude scene yeah. with her clothes on, but pantomiming everything. Yeah. And I found I found that she she more than made up for the lack of camera movement or yeah. any any other sort of tricks like she she had a very magnetic presence and was very good at the pantomiming yeah in that uh, scene less so when they get to the restaurants and are just both stuck sitting down talking about like monica vitti and yeah yeah the restaurant scenes were a little um, tedious but yeah the opening shot and then the shot you were describing where it's her like going through the ridiculous <laughs> because he's totally i mean the scene he's come up with for her to be nude is completely contrived and she's like why would i how could i hear and yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny yeah, to watch it slowly break down on lines him. in the scene yeah she's supposed to overhear something <laughs> and so his idea is that she he overhears it while naked so that when she puts on her clothes it's a metaphor of her armoring <laughs> up based on the response to what she overheard but the premise would be her showering and then walking out nude while other people are talking in the next room <laughs> yeah oh yeah what did she say like why would the uh why would the pantyhose be in the yeah, hall in the hallway like, why would i have to leave the bedroom in the hallway to get to- <laughs> see i'm talking myself back into liking this movie more i think i need to watch it again it kind of peaks it- with that scene though all right when, it, when, I, when it's not the end of an incredibly long day <laughs> which is what i had for sure for not yeah for you it was a very long day as well because you were seeing stuff at the festival uh, that was the first thing i saw at the festival but uh that day but i had a long day nonetheless um, I saw three things on Sunday, but I'll let you go first. Okay. The first um, thing I saw was a spell to ward off the darkness. Which, best title and poster of yeah. the festival. Um, <laughs> though significantly less metal than you suspected it would be based on the poster. The, the, the poster does have sort of a black metal feel. It's like a, 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 yeah. a sort of gloomy, moody shot of a lake with like sort of black metalish lettering. Yeah. That and that's the title treatment to as well. Yeah. And it's a three part film. And the third part is basically the weirdest concert movie you'll ever see. And the concert they're filming is a black metal show. Okay. So there is eventually some metal stuff in there. 
but you do have to wade through, and I know this will turn you off immediately, a <laughs> uh, first part that's about a hippie commune. <laughs> so you're already off into a rough start. And then the second part, which worked for me kind of in the moment, but it was it's a, this guy who ends up playing in the black metal show, just kind of wandering about natural environments in, oh, they said afterwards, I can't remember what country. I feel like Iceland or Greenland or one of those Nordic places. Um and he's just wandering about natural environments, which is very pleasing to someone with my sensibilities. But I also felt like it was a little easy for them, mm-hmm. an easy tack for them to take of just like nature and being one with nature. Um, but I think they set up in an OK way in the opening shot, which is of the lake that's on the poster. And it's just a 360 shot of the lake. And eventually they bring in kind of this choral music and the lake, the way it reflects the trees and the mountains and stuff as it moves across the screen starts to resemble like sound lines like on GarageBand or any sort of recording thing uh-huh. um and so it, i mean it doesn't quite like rise and fall with the way the choral music is going but kind of gets to what they're getting at which is the connection between like sound and nature and like music being an outgrowth of nature um so while i felt like that was a good tack to take and eventually i think it gets successful the first especially the first section of the hippie commune is really rough to get through and the guy was wandering about i felt was a little easy but i i still think it's mostly a successful movie and if people get a chance to check it out and are inclined towards weird experimental, yeah, experimental type stuff, probably check check it out. Well, if they're listening to this show, they probably are. Yeah, probably inclined toward that. <laughs> uh, drones. What's that about? Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a good read. Well done. <laughs> um, drones is about two Air Force. Uh, I don't know if you call them soldiers or whatever, but they're they're in the Air Force, but they're just piloting uh, drones. What is, is, they're not, is it soldier or airman? I, yeah, I guess one of the guys is called airman. The other one's a lieutenant. So she's okay. called lieutenant, but the other guy's called airman. So let's go with airman. Um, and the girl is the daughter of a general uh, who got kicked out of the Air Force after they discovered she had a detached retina. And so she's kind of got a chip on her shoulder about that. And the guy is just like a high school dropout, basically, who went the army because there's nothing else for him to do. Um, and so it starts with two good characters, but eventually gets really, really tedious with its politics, even though they are politics with which I agree. They, the guy they're targeting with the drone attack, they come up with such a contrived way in which he's obviously innocent that it becomes like, of course the drone program is wrong, rather than confronting people with the basic inhumanity of just wiping out people, you know, with robots. Um, Well, when you put it like that, (laughs) I mean, come on. But no, I agree with you. um, Yeah, there's no... There's it just eventually just becomes questioning the way in which we pick who we kill rather than the fact of killing people, um, which I feel like is a kind of simplistic moral question to bring up, especially with so much else going on with it. Um, but I, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I don't think it's that good of a movie. OK, uh, Stranger by the Lake. I wanted to see this one. I'm going to take a drink of water one second. OK, uh, well, I read about Stranger by the Lake. I didn't see it. It's uh... which, what did you read about it? Because I'm curious uh, which part got the most note going in. Um, that it takes place, well, it's a, it, French? Yeah. Is it French? And it takes place on sort of a, I guess, a Fire Island type place that's a very, that's a, 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 a gay-focused island retreat or resort vacation place. And then a guy becomes interested in another guy and then sees that guy murder someone. Yeah. And then doesn't, 
doesn't turn him in or anything and still <laughs> keeps pursuing the guy, right? Yeah. That's um, usually what happens? Yeah, although I think the impression that most people walking out of it will remember is the explicit, unsimulated sex scenes, um, oh, which so are yeah. important to note going in for anybody who might be interested in the movie, which I still felt was quite good, even though the sex scenes are entirely unmotivated, at least to the extent with which they show them. Um, but the premise you described is exactly as compelling as it sounds. Uh, the director, whose name I do not recall, uh, I'll find it. Keep talking. All right. Goes through an interesting way of introducing us to it's not actually like a retreat place. It's a public lake area that just kind of became a gay cruising spot. So okay. only gay guys show up there or men who want to sleep out there. Men, I guess they're not all explicitly gay. Um, and so it he sets it up in such a way that you're seeing the same things every new day. It takes place over about a week. And so you see the way things suddenly change and so they shift. And the setting of it is important because every time that the protagonist shows up, these guys are kind of like eyeing him and checking him out in like a way that's a little creepy and a little predatory. And so for him, for the director to eventually capitalize on that with a murder plot and really focus on the predatory nature, I think of sometimes uh, guys, or not just guys, but anybody who goes out just looking for, you know, a quick way to get off. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like he explores that interesting way. And on top of it, just being an interesting thriller and a totally gripping story. Uh, I, I look forward to it. I don't, I don't, did you read anything about a theatrical release? I know you've been updating I us. Think, on I think stuff. it is getting a theatrical release from okay. Strand, which means in Los Angeles it'll play for a week at some Lemley Theater in Pasadena or something. And, <laughs> right. then, and then we'll get the DVD. But that, yeah, oh, yeah, Strand that's also true. means that Battleship <laughs> Retention will get to review it. Um, the director's name, I'm going to butcher it, but it's Alain Gerodi. Something like that. I haven't seen anything else he's done, so I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what else he's done either. Um, we well, maybe navigate away from my list here. Um, what's <laughs> well, next? Yeah. Oh, last. Okay. No, go ahead. No, I was going to move on. Okay. So yeah. Have... Uh, the last film I saw that day was The Umbrellas of Sherberg, which um, was one of the, every year they pick about five or so older movies to show. And this year they had Agnes Varda as the guest artistic director. She was married to Jacques Demy, who made The Umbrellas of Sherberg. And I know we're all everyone at this table anyway is a big fan of uh, the young girls of Rochefort, which I still feel like is Demi's best movie. Have you guys all seen umbrellas of Sherberg? Yes, I did not. Okay. Uh, you should definitely check it out. It's very good. And the new restoration is that they showed is stunning and we got to watch it in the newly renovated Chinese theater. Um, what do you think? I have mixed feelings. I definitely prefer the seating because I, I mean the old seating was just, you know, you're just on the floor. And so if someone tolls in front of you, that's it for the day. Yeah. Um, that does suck. Um, but, uh, I guess a part of me is like, I would love this theater if it weren't the Chinese. Like, yeah, that, that I kind of feel the same something. way. It yeah. does, and it feels less grand in the end. Because I had to sit like, I mean, I was still five rows from the first row, maybe, and that, that was like dead center of the screen in terms of the lift that the stadium seating gives you. Um, so I can't right. imagine sitting in the far back, where I usually get stuck for these galas and stuff. I, en- I ended up, for inside Lewin Davis, uh, shunted all the way over to, to one one side. It was yeah. a little weird. That's one reason why I didn't RCP for that screening, because I knew my <laughs> ticket would be awful. <laughs> so what uh, what is the seating in the Chinese theater now? It's stadium seating. Okay. Yeah, um, David, that bothers you. No, I love stadium seating. Right. It bothers me that, it, that they did that to the Chinese. I see. Which, you know, is an important theater. I see. And yeah, I mean, one could say they it was a huge step forward because sitting that way, <laughs> though it is how they did it in the past, wasn't really that convenient. I guess not but, unlike renting at a video store, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, just view stadium seating as the red box of of uh, you know, and uh, finally the Chinese theater has. Uh, but I guess that I don't think of a video store as a museum, whereas a part of me, when I'm going into a theater that has history like the Chinese, there is a museum type of 
feeling that I get about that. No, I actually completely agree with you. (laughs) I'm just looking to pick a fight and actually have something to say in this episode. Yeah, I mean, the Chinese theater has been renovated many times over its history, but Mm -hmm. essentially I think the seating has mostly remained the same. So when you're walking in, there is that, at least in the old theater, there is kind of that history that comes with it. And because of the old seating, everyone's looking up at the screen. Mm -hmm. And so there is kind of a more grand feeling towards it. Even though yeah. the screen now is theoretically bigger, it feels smaller because of the way the seating is It very much feels hmm. smaller. Yeah. There were parts of Inside Lewin Davis where I sort of felt like I feel like I'd be getting a better sense of his facial expressions if I right. was watching this at home on my TV. Right. Because I felt like I was so far away. Well, even if you're just off this, I mean, I sat way off the side last year for Hitchcock opening night, and that was in the old Chinese theater. And, like, you know, things are just, like, leaping across the screen. It seems <laughs> like every time someone moves, that's a small movie to begin with. But, right. yeah. So the scene wasn't perfect either in the beginning. But, but it is, like, I knew they had renovated it. I didn't know how fully until I walked yeah, in. It, it it's is kind of breathtaking when yeah. you walk in. It's, it's Do you know why they renovated Was it... Uh, well, it bought. But, it's not, yeah, oh, it's not okay. owned by, by Mans Grauman, anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was Grauman's. I mean, yeah, sorry. It's not owned by Grauman's. I always get confused. Or maybe no. it was Man's. Yeah, it was it's Man, Man's, Man's Grauman's Chinese Theater. Was, yeah. And now it's the TCL Chinese Theater. Yeah, so and they've okay. converted it into an IMAX theater is the main reason they renovated it. I assumed maybe it wasn't making... As much money no. as other um, theaters. No, the Arclight took away a lot of business from it. Yeah. And so most of its showings were like really low budget horror movies. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it stopped showing kind of like class A pictures. And now they're getting like gravity and stuff. So it is good for business. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just glad I checked out the Chinese theater as it was originally. Yeah, they. I mean, they stopped. Uh, I saw Harry Potter's 4, 5, and 6 at the oh, Chinese really? theater. Okay. But the two-part last one they didn't yeah. do in the chinese yeah. so uh that was uh and that that's one of my favorite chinese theater memories is harry potter and the half-blood prince at midnight with my girlfriend yeah sitting, that would have been great sitting just a few seats down from jennifer goodwin huh. <laughs> who's apparently a big uh and a lot of potter people file a lot of people dressed up for, i i assume yeah with the uh, with the chinese theater you get a lot of people <laughs> dressing up uh yeah there were a lot uh, and that's also i know i've told this story before but bear with me because my favorite things that's ever happened I don't know if you guys remember, for a while in a lot of Los Angeles theaters, uh, there was a thing, a commercial for the Los Angeles Times uh, that was playing beforehand. There was oh, interviews yeah, yeah. with filmmakers. And the first filmmaker interviewed in that little commercial was Michael Bay. And so, uh, Half-Blood Prince, it's Thursday at midnight, you know, <laughs> um, uh, everyone's excited. And this thing comes up, and as soon as, before he even opens his mouth, as soon as Michael <laughs> Fa- Bay's face is on the screen, the whole theater goes, boo! <laughs> that is one of the benefits of Los Angeles. They know what Michael Bay looks like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I when I, that was very funny. I went and saw a midnight show of uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. So, you know, it was a, ba- it was a big yeah. deal. I don't remember exactly where I saw it, uh, but... Century 8? No, I think it might have been... It might have been like one of the AMC theaters in Burbank. I don't remember exactly, but people were dressed up and people were very excited about it. And uh, during the you know trailers and stuff, uh, the next uh, there's a trailer for the next Twilight. Uh-huh. Oh boy, <laughs> the maybe the one thing that uh, that Harry Potter fans hate more than Michael Bay, it would appear, <laughs> is Twilight. <laughs> and just and there is a thing for uh, oh what was it abduction? The other Taylor Lautner, yeah, like, yeah, the sole great. Taylor Lautner film. Uh, uh, starring vehicle and uh, they booed that and then <laughs> then Twilight showed up and they're like oh man this is double the fun when I went to see Snakes on a Plane they showed a trailer for some like horror movie of the year and at the end everyone was like okay it looks okay and some guy just shouts out pretty cool but there's no snakes <laughs> <laughs> and that got us rolling um, I yell that at almost every trailer <laughs> I see uh, the other thing this was like just a, 
uh, we'll get back to the topic in a second. <laughs> but uh, another thing that really surprised me, remember the trailer for Devil about the movie? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. The people trapped in the elevator? It's a weird trailer that starts off with an upside-down shot for no reason at all. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember. A, it's an upside-down helicopter shot going over, like, the bay. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know why. <laughs> but it's the trailer, and then this wasn't even like, it wasn't like Harry Potter. It wasn't, uh, it was just a screening at the Century 8 of just a regular, it was regular folk at the, at the screening. <laughs> but when produced by M. Night Shyamalan came yeah. up at the end, people booed. Like, every mm-hmm. time I saw that trailer, it got some sort of reaction. Every other day, it's like, uh Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that guy's name is it, not, it, it, like... People outside of just cinephiles have an attachment to yeah. the M. Night Shyamalan name, and it's not good <laughs> anymore. Um, okay, real quick, I'll run through what I saw on Sunday. Uh, three things. Um, two of the older films you mentioned, you saw Umbrellas of Sherbrooke. I saw uh, The Court Jester, starring Danny Kaye, um, which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, I'm pretty, I didn't check. I'm pretty sure it was a digital projection. Um, I don't... Uh, that doesn't bother me as much as it does some people, but I would have liked to have seen a film like The Court Jester, I guess, you know, uh, a VistaVision uh, film from that era uh, on film, I guess. But that, I guess the B side of that is that the other, the second film I saw that day at the Egyptian was uh, Fassbender's The Marriage of Maria Braun, uh, which was on film and was not in perfect shape. Yeah. So I guess that's the trade-off. Yeah. But the Marriage of Maria Braun is awesome. I don't. I've know never you, seen it, unfortunately. It's it's really good. It's on um, my Hulu queue. And it's uh, um, Agnes Varda. It was one of the ones she picked. Yeah. And did she, was there for Rose of Sherbrooke? Was there a like filmed intro by Agnes Varda? No, she was there. Oh, she was yeah. okay. So she wasn't there. I for, was one of the three people giving a standing ovation, but I was still <laughs> proud of it. Damn it. <laughs> she wasn't there for Marriage of Maria Braun, but there was a, an intro thing, and she was talking about how. Um, uh, that Maria Braun is sort of uh, an avatar for Fassbender himself and hmm. that um, uh, she can be very difficult and unkind to people in order to get her way sometimes. Right. <laughs> uh, it is sort of an uh, apology, I guess, for that, or maybe, uh, I don't know, but it's a, it's a really good movie and shot by, uh, who did other Fassbender things as well, Michael Bauhaus, oh, who would yeah. go on to be one of Scorsese's go-to guys. And Goodfellas and The Departed, yeah. at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the third thing I saw, here we go. <laughs> I saw um, one of, you know, long-time uh, loyal listeners know that I'm a big fan of the works of Kim Ki-duk, um, the South Korean director who did Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, and The Isle, and Bad Guy, and most recently, Pieta. Um, he had a new film called Mobius, and oh man. <laughs> it was, I've heard a lot about it, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know, I, I, intentionally, much like you with Inside Lewin Davis, <laughs> you, you told me off mic not to spoil anything. I intentionally went in not knowing anything about what it was about. Uh, but I guess uh, you all here and the listeners won't get that same, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to tell you some things. Um, it's a feature-length film that has no dialogue in it whatsoever. Uh, it's not It's not silent. There's... There's sounds, there's plenty of screaming, and <laughs> there's also plenty of sort of moaning and groaning in a sexual way. Um, at what point did you realize that, that there was going to be no talking in this movie? I'm not sure at what point it was that it occurred to me that yeah. it's just going to be like this. Because um, I knew that about that movie, but I didn't know that about a movie called The Naked Island, which I had to review on Blu-ray. I just started watching. I was like, oh, this guy really has visual storytelling down. <laughs> about 45 minutes in, I was like, this is a 90-minute movie. Maybe nobody's going to talk. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, I will say as far as vi- visually, 
um, it's not the uh, Kim Ki Duck's movies aren't always the prettiest. Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, Spring has a nice look because of its locale. But he serves as his own cinematographer here, huh. and it's sort of functional in a lot of ways. But it's not; it doesn't distract. It's just uh, it uh, again. I use the word; it's functional. Um, but it's a movie. Okay, again, like I did with Blue and I'll just give the sort of baseline. Here's the premise: There's a husband and wife, and they have a teenage son. The husband is having an affair. Uh, the wife and the son, unbeknownst to one another, go follow him on one of his dates to see this woman he's having an affair with. And they fo- and eventually they find him having sex in a car. The son gets there first, watches his father having sex with this woman. And then the wife shows up, sees what's happening, but doesn't let the son see her there. And they leave. She comes home, peeks into the son's room, and he's masturbating. Um... Possibly, it's, it is suggested possibly because he was turned on by what he saw, okay. I guess, is the suggestion. Um, she's pissed off, so she grabs a knife and goes to castrate her husband while he sleeps. He wakes up and fights her off and locks her out of the bedroom. So instead, she goes and castrates her son. That's where the movie starts. <laughs> it is That is far from the final castration that happens in the movie. Uh, I do like that movie, The Final Castration. That's, that's a good one. Uh, so it has multiple castrations. It has uh, a, a very brutal and disconcerting rape scene. And it is also the funniest movie Kim Ki-duk has ever made. And it, <laughs> I heard point, there's a scene in Traffic that uh, sounds very darkly humorous. Wait, in Traffic? Maybe I've heard this wrong. I'll have to tell you later. Uh, maybe I'm missing. Oh, that one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the characters are actually on the sidewalk. Right. Yes. yes. Okay. Um that's not even the like okay uh, but yeah despite that stuff there is stuff that is intentionally very funny in a very dark way where i mean sort of uh it gets into the idea of um uh masochism you know as pain for sexual release and then so there's a part where maybe more than one part i won't give too much away (laughs) where there's a knife sticking out of a person and the knife handle like the hilt of the knife sort of becomes a phallic Simple okay. and is being the, the knife is being manipulated as if it were the phallus, <laughs> and that's played for comedy and it works. It's uh, it's a very strange and very funny and very dark movie. And uh, did you find it at all disturbing? <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, okay, that's good. <laughs> like I talked about the uh, the kids the or the young men during Blue Ruin who kept reacting. Right. The guy next to me, sober as a judge, could not handle this movie. Yeah. He was just like. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Just leave, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Mobius, definitely check that out. I'm not sure when you'll get a chance to see it. but uh, Oh, man, I, I want to see. Uh, it sounds tremendously uncomfortable. I, I, have a, I have a general thing about castration, as I would say everyone in the world does, yes. except yeah. maybe this character uh, from the film. But, uh, but, yeah, that sounds really, really fascinating. Yeah. All right, uh, let's move on to Monday. The Strange Little Cat. Yeah, I actually watched this. Uh, the AFI, I'm very grateful to them, sets up a screening library of sorts. They make available screeners that you can watch in the media center just on your laptop, but it does, um, especially for a movie like The Strange Little Cat, which I wanted to see but couldn't see otherwise. The only thing I knew about going in is that it was made, or at least conceived during a seminar with Bellatar, who since his retirement has become a teacher um, of film. Hmm. And so being a fan of Bellatar, very interesting. There's nothing really in common with Pelotar, but it is a wonderful, somewhat indescribable movie that takes place over one day in a single apartment that is ostensibly about a family gathering together to have dinner together, but that's not discussed at all. 
and he just spends moment with these tiny character moments that are totally meaningless but add up to something quite wonderful unfortunately it does not have distribution um i watched it twice in the media center it's only like 65 minutes long Uh so i restarted as soon as it finished um and yeah i was just enraptured by it Hmm. uh the missing picture this is a documentary that you will have a chance to see quite soon uh it's about i should have looked more up about this um beforehand because it's about uh the concentration camps that uh paul pot uh erected um I don't know the official name for that. I'm a horrible person um, when it comes to history. Right. Well, there. This is. I'm. I'm remembering now that I read it. This is. I think the same guy who made a documentary called S21, okay. the Khmer Rouge uh, killing machine. I think, which was also about a specific one yeah. of those, um, which I saw back in, when I lived in Chicago, and was very effective. Uh, so this is, I guess, he's, yeah. Continuing off of that, yeah. um, it, it. I think it's about his personal experience in one such camp, um, and he recreates it using clay figurines not like claymation he carves the figurines for every different scene he wants to set up um so it's pretty aesthetically wonderful and i like this trend that's going on of documentarians finding a way to make artificial the stories they're telling and not mm-hmm. just make it about talking heads and interviews and uh, archival footage and stuff like that there is some archival footage here uh, i haven't seen that actually okay um, but what are you thinking of as far as this trend? i was thinking of, there's a movie called the arbor that came out two years ago that was on my top 10 that was uh, that used interviews, but used actors lip syncing those interviews to recreate it. Um, and then this year, the act of killing, which I know you saw at LA yeah. Film Fest, um, yeah. which has a horrible, <laughs> horrifying premise. Yeah. Um, but is I think totally effective. And Did you one, see it yet, Tyler? One of the best films no, of the year. It's sitting right over there. <laughs> I'll be watching it this week. Um, yeah, the missing picture is quite good and quite harrowing, as one might expect. Um, speaking of the, of those uh, documentary things. Um, did you see Pina or Pina, whatever mm-hmm. Pina? Yeah, I did. Um, there's something that sounds awful and boring and pretentious on, <laughs> like when I say it, but actually worked is the the way the interviews are done in that movie, which is they're recorded, but then the shot is just a shot of the person sitting in a chair. Yeah, you're hearing what they said in the interview, but you're just watching them sit in a chair. It's that's not the whole movie. There's also <laughs> dancing and stuff. <laughs> right. For people who don't know, it's not the shots of people sitting in chairs. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's a it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. Uh, it almost made my top 10 of, was that two years ago? Whatever. Yeah, it was 2011. All right. Um, uh, the next one, you'll have to tell me how to say it. <laughs> it's pronounced Monica Mana. Which um, I had also heard good things of out of Toronto. I yeah, I thought this was amazing. Uh, it's As I describe it, I'm going to sound pretentious for liking it, but it is just, it's like 11 still shots of people riding this cable car up to this temple called Monica Mana. Um, and at first, you think it's going to be what it sounds like, which is people just sitting still looking at the scenery. And it sets that up in a good way so that you get a feel for the journey on the cable car and the scenery and all that, which is silent people. And then eventually, it brings in more active uh, subjects, I guess, uh-huh. um, culminating in two wonderful old women who are desperately trying to finish their ice cream bars before they get to the bottom of this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and as they've, as previous subjects have mentioned there's no air conditioning in these cable cars and it's very hot where the temple is and so it it's only like an eight minute ride but over the process just dripping everywhere and this old woman just just desperately trying to keep up with the dripping (laughs) as she eats it and so in addition to it being a meditative you know search for religion or whatever you want to call it it is somewhat entertaining surprisingly Mm enough um i think that has distribution from cinema guild so i think you guys will have a chance to check it out and if you can if you sound like you can hang it with an 11 shot two-hour movie uh-huh. it'll definitely be up your alley sounds up my alley actually. yeah uh now tyler gets to talk 
Because oh, we're talking about Nebraska. Hey, Nebraska. <laughs> All Which right. Tyler also wrote, already wrote a review for. It's up on the website. It's long and meandering, but if you want to work your way a, through it, then go ahead. Review. Yeah, I mostly agree with your perspective, actually, but whining. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I guess if we all agree with me, just go and read the review and I'll just <laughs> sit here again. No, I have other thoughts. Okay. Too. Um, yeah. Nebraska, uh, was a film that I was uh, looking forward to, uh, as I always am with Alexander Payne, but he's a, as we talked about with Colin Marshall uh, a while ago, he's an interesting filmmaker and in that he has changed over the years. Um, he used to be somebody who is not afraid to embrace right. dark, you're, cynical you're, sarcasm. and Your view of that change is a little more sympathetic than mine is. <laughs> well, it's, here's the thing. Like, as long as he's still making a good movie, and you know, as long as he's still making a good movie at the end, then it's like, oh, that's fine. It's just he's making movies now that I think are more common, whereas Election and Citizen Ruth are not as common. And so it's but, it is kind of unfortunate that he's that I, we don't have that filmmaker anymore. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like he he's lost some of his personal voice because I yeah. feel like Election has true human ugliness in it. Yes. Whereas I feel like the ugliness on display in like The Descendants and in in Nebraska is kind of the digestible and tempered sort of middlebrow, uh, you know, art approximation of of ugliness that we get in a, a lot of films this time of year. But the fr- the frustrating thing about it is that you have a character like Bruce Dern's uh, character and a performance like his, which I think is fairly naturalistic and it's, and it's, and the way he shot, he shoots it is not a incredibly, it's shot in black and white, but it's not incredibly stylized aside from that. It's fairly sparse and stark. Um, but there are, at least I noticed a number of, um, you know, there's like the panning around the re- restaurant in little sort of spurts when they walk in. Yeah. And there's a lot of rack- racking focus back and forth yeah. in the movie that um, really stuck out to me. And it felt like it was actually one of the things I really liked about the film because it felt like the opposite of what cinematography has uh, become, which is so smooth as to seem almost not human anymore. Mm. Uh, whereas this with the the way the camera moved and the way the focus was racked and the use of black and white yeah. made it feel very handmade. Yeah. And it's, but it, that's the thing is that hasn't said anything. <laughs> well, I'm allowed to respond to that. I don't really have thoughts on the cinematography actually. Um, I thought it was beautiful. I really liked the way uh, that it was shot, but it just, it seemed in many ways to take place in kind of a naturalistic world. And the story that he's telling is one that seems though there's a, one could say that there's almost a gimmick to it. I actually thought it worked very well. Um, it's just, it, it's a film. It, I go back and forth on it. It's frustrating to me because you have election type characters, it, it, albeit in supporting roles, you have them show up in this film that is trying to be kind of this touching thing. And, Part of me is like, well, I like both of those. I like Election, and I liked – I didn't love The Descendants, but I liked The Descendants quite a bit. Um, it's just like – and he's not – and he's going back and forth, and they f- they never feel like they're occupying the same space. They never feel like it's the same film. And so ultimately what it comes down to is you get what seems to be a really humanistic approach unless, of course, it's these characters over yeah, here, in which case just that. fuck them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, just, it really like, bothered me. My favorite uh, – my favorite part of the film is the whole middle section when they're they spend that weekend in Bruce Dern's hometown with the family. It felt very midwestern to me, mm-hmm. and it felt very much like 
when you have when I'm home visiting my family, it's like there's I'm home like all my my whole life is back. Yeah. Like my all my duties and responsibilities are back in California. I'm here for these three days and the days are just going to fill up however they do. <laughs> it had yeah. that feeling. Do you hate your family? No, I, I love my <laughs> Oh, family. then it must not be that similar <laughs> to uh, Nebraska. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like he 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 gets he's so good at capturing that uh that feeling of uh that, that midwestern feeling but at the same time is can be so dismissive and mocking of it yeah the thing that here's the thing as as frustrated as i am by it every once in a while there are not everyone every once in a while it, it happens somewhat frequently where, because the actors are, are solid and the and it's written somewhat well uh in certain ways uh but just the in certain aspects of the relate of relationships and often what is not said, but what the actors bring to it, they bring a sense of history. And, uh, and so by the end of it, you know, you say that you you saw it and felt like, Hey, I remember that there's a scene where two characters that happen to be brothers, uh, engage in some hijinks uh-huh. and the, and the conversation that leads up to those hijinks reminded me of my brother and I, and I, and stuff like that. And it just, and Bruce Dern reminded me of my grandpa a little bit. And just, so it did, there's re- there is real honesty going on there. There's stuff that I that really struck me personally, which made the other stuff that though I often found it funny, it just stuck out like a sore thumb to me. It just didn't register as as real. Scott, that. your thoughts? <laughs> um, well, the charge that Alexander Payne like makes fun of Midwesterners has been sticking throughout his entire career. Yeah. I feel like, and it's gotten to the point now where people are like, "Oh, who will which." Uh, you know, 20 something Brooklynite will rescue the poor Midwesterners from the <laughs> evil hands of Alexander Payne, um, which I feel like is kind of a fair charge against uh, the critics. Um, but Payne, I think, justified it in a way that's somewhat fair by saying that it's a kind of Midwestern attitude. And you guys can speak to it some more than I can of like making fun of somebody and then loving them. Um, that you're kind of cutting them down and then building them up. Is that I don't think unfair? He, well, the thing is, he doesn't give. Like he doesn't give the extended family. Okay, no, I was going to say I don't think he does eventually build them up. Right. Yeah. I was just starting with that premise. If that premise yeah. was a fair thing of Midwesterners, yeah. step one, he's got. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of I guess ball busting that goes on in my at okay. least in my family, but that's not what this is because there's uh, I feel like the, he's not making he's, he's not coming from like a friendly or a knowing place. It, he seems like he's putting them behind glass and ma- and inviting you to point and laugh at them. That is a very good way of putting it. Yeah, yes. I think sometimes he does turn it well. I like the, I can't remember the character's name, but the guy who comes up to them on the street and is always like, hey, Woody, how's it going? I love that, I love that guy. I, I love like, the old woman who ran the newspaper. I thought yeah. she was great. Yeah. Um. So there are some times I think he nails it, but especially like with June Squibb, I just thought was so misplaced. Yeah. I and, loved her performance, but I thought like they gave her such, It it sounds weird, but like, her first line is like, you dumb cluck. And I'm like, oh, that, it's like that rings true. Yeah. And then she just becomes this foul mouthed. And it's like, well, now it doesn't ring true. That mm-hmm. doesn't seem like that. Like, yeah. And they give her a scene where she gets to be in the right. But I don't feel like that's enough. And it doesn't endear her to me anyway. Right. Well, it's, all right. We could talk about this all day. It's a film that it is a film that I would say I'd, by and large I I recommend because there's a lot of there's a lot of good things in it, but man, I See, just if I had this be. is always my thing. If I had to come down thumbs up or thumbs down, and I would probably go with thumbs down. As would but I. There's a lot of stuff that I liked, but I'd have to. It's frustrating. It's weird. Sometimes, as you know, like sometimes one solid performance is enough because just like I would say thumbs down, but then people wouldn't see Bruce Dern. <laughs> but Bruce Dern's in like five movies a year. You want to see Bruce Dern? You can see him anywhere. <laughs> not this. Not, not this character. Um, you know. 
He doesn't show. Does he show no. up a lot? He does. I just saw him in Twixt as well, the Francis oh, Couple movie, oh, which he was right. wonderful in. Oh, he's yeah, he's great in everything. But just <laughs> that's my point. But I, I believe he, he's, in, he's in the Burbs. That's what he I. Sure is. I, yeah. I know, like to people like to like my dad, Bruce Stern meant a whole different thing. Yeah. But to me, the very first thing that I think of him is the Burbs. I think of him in Down Periscope first, and <laughs> then I think of him in Black Sunday. Did anybody? Yeah, see Black, Black Sunday. He's great. He's Black, great Sunday, in Black which Sunday, which is a intense but crazy movie yeah all <laughs> right Stern and robert shaw <laughs> moving on vic and flo saw a bear yes told. uh <laughs> they don't end up seeing a bear is the ironic thing um Son of a spoiler bitch. alert it sounds like it's actually vic plus flo yeah uh, technically i mean everyone says vic and flo um right. but the title yes is vic plus flo saw a bear it's about a woman who gets released from prison um and now, hold on is that the on-screen title because i know who you are big yes, on i'm pretty sure it's plus okay um it's all a blur to me now um, but it's what about a woman who gets released from prison, uh, goes to live with, I believe he's her uncle who is n- now, uh, heavily disabled, can't speak, can't get out of a wheelchair, uh, but she has nowhere else to go. So she shacks up with him, doesn't treat him very well. And eventually he gets taken away. So she thinks cause he has the house to herself, um, to her herself and her lesbian lover, um, as they are both trying to avoid a life of crime while, only having that in common essentially because they met in prison and then the other woman got out before uh vic i guess um so eventually the life of crime comes back to bite them in some very jarring scenes that are very effective um on the whole though the movie felt a tad comfortable to me honestly um in spite of its sometimes horrific violence uh there are too many scenes of People debating what to do with uh, the old man who they don't give much accord to, even though they spent a lot of time on him. Um, yeah, I don't, it just didn't really work for me on the whole. All right. Doesn't sound like something I want to see. <laughs> uh, Tuesday, Grand Central. Yeah, uh, this was a movie. I was actually in the second row of one of those similar theaters for that, so I empathize with reading subtitles <laughs> while looking straight up. Um, it's an interesting movie. It's about these people who work at a nuclear facility it's a French film, I think, so it must be somewhere in France. Um, you work at a nuclear facility, and the radiation is at once affecting the protagonist. Um, he's ex- allowing himself to be exposed to much more than he's supposed to be, and consequently having effect on this affair he's having with this other woman who works there, who's uh, engaged to be married to a third guy. Uh, and so the melodramatic aspects of it I found very affecting, and it gets to be this real fever pitch of emotion, even though it's not like histrionic or anything. But you can kind of feel the presence of like this biological disaster waiting to happen nearby as the characters are having their own kind of personal disasters. It's an interesting tone they strike. OK, uh, moving on. I don't know how to say this one. <laughs> I think it's our Sunni. Um, it's the latest film by uh, Hong Sang-soo, who I've gotten into over the last year after seeing his film uh, in another country and loving it last year at AFI Fest. Uh, This is not as engaging as that is. Uh, It's about a woman, a college student, who's trying to uh, go study abroad, all the while carrying on quasi-romances with her professor and two other students. And so it's as much about her as it is about their perception of her. And as with most Hong Sing-soo movies, there's long passages and bars and a lot of repeated incidents 
And why are you smiling at me? <laughs> I thought of a, uh, it has nothing to do with All right. what, what you were saying. I thought of a stupid joke and I feel terrible. I'm so sorry <laughs> for distracting you. That's all right. You continue. Okay. This is the second Los Angeles based film festival this year in which I've missed a Hong Sing Su film. Yeah. He makes about two movies a year. Cause I didn't, <laughs> I also, nobody's daughter. Hey, yeah. Wan was on my list of things to see at LAFF and I didn't make it. I've heard wonderful, wonderful things about that one. Um, but yes, Our Sunni is an interesting movie, but for those who uh, haven't seen any Hong Sing Su, I would not recommend starting there. Uh, most of his movies are very much the same and kind of take place in the same, not exactly the same universe, but in the way that like most John the Godard movies in the 60s or Robert Altman in the 70s, they kind of feel of a piece um, and they take place in the same like emotional reality. So I'd recommend checking out in another country first. And then if you dig that, move on to stuff like Our Sunni or Woman is the Future of Man or something else that I saw and now I can't remember. <laughs> What, uh, what's it, what is exhibition? Uh, exhibition is, uh, ostensibly a marital drama. Um, it, the director, John Hogg takes kind of moments from this marriage as this couple is getting ready to sell their house that I, it's never specified why they're selling the house, even though they talk about how much they love it throughout most of the movie. And so the circumstances surrounding it are a mystery as are most of the circumstances surrounding their characters, uh, which works to a certain extent. I just don't feel like she ends up investing enough in the scenes and it just ends up feeling too easy to just take these emotional moments and just present that as that's enough, especially because by the end she comes with a solution that seems way too easy to this focus of their problems. Um, so yeah, I, I was hoping for a lot from that movie and it ended up kind of disappointing me. Uh, now the next movie, again, I don't know how to say it. Neither did I until I heard it on screen. Uh, Philomena. Philomena, which I am seeing this week and I'm, uh, I like a lot of Stephen Freer's work. Yeah. I like Judy Dench. I like Steve Coogan. Will uh, I like this movie? I think so. It's not a great movie. Um, Judy Dench has been talked up as a possible best actress candidate. I don't really see that happening. Uh, her Crowded field. Yeah. That and her performance is very small and she doesn't like... She kind of has an arc, but there's just not a lot of transformation of the character. And I feel like that's going to hurt her in the Oscar race. But she is quite good in the movie. It's about a woman um, who's searching for the son she was forced to give up when she was living in a Catholic dormitory as a young woman. Um, she got pregnant. And of course, the nuns made her give up the baby. And so she was searching for what happened to the son. And the results of that search are tremendously affecting, mm -hmm. as are the way she moves through reconciling that and th what the nuns did to her. Um, with her ultimate faith, which I don't feel like is dismissive of, while at the same time saying that some people within certain faiths are truly shitty evil. Um, and so... Why did David look at me? <laughs> I don't know. You just I, glanced at me. <laughs> if there's something about about Christianity, then... You just glance at me instinctively? <laughs> I want to see what your reaction is. <laughs> My reaction is I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> there's a lot of awful people. But it just struck me, it just... Be like, yeah, I know. I'm sitting next to one right now. <laughs> that was but the impression you, I got from the clients. Do you find, uh, okay, this is a bit of a topic, tangent, but it's something I've been thinking about a little bit lately, and I'll tell you why in a second. Do you find that not enough – is it is it is it frustratingly rare to you for a mainstream film to depict a Christian as a normal and, <laughs> and healthy and nice person? Uh, yes, it is very, very rare. And what often – this is something we actually cut out of an episode a long time ago with Josh Fadum because I did not like the way that I described it. Uh -huh. But, um, yeah, it's one of those things where... Step lightly here, because I don't want to uh, do any editing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, it's... Uh, yeah, Christians are often depicted a very specific way. Um, and 
it's usually negative, small minded and all that. And don't get me wrong, I've been Christian my whole life and I and there are times when I've run across people that are very mean and legalistic and that sort of thing. And, you know, people could say that uh, I am that in certain ways. Um, but, uh, but the thing is, not all Christians are like that. Not all of anybody from any religion is all, is all one way. Um, but in film, w- the thing that gets me is the Christian that is viewed, uh, anytime a Christian is viewed in a good way, it is almost always because they have entertained the notion that they are wrong and that everybody else is right. And so it's just like, it's like oh, they're, they're, they're a good Christian. It's like if there is an atheist character, which admittedly there are not a lot of atheist characters in film. Uh, and if there are, the their arc is that maybe they're entertaining the notion of, of <laughs> right. belief. And yeah. if I were an atheist, I would find that uh, I would find that insulting. As as though to say like it's like oh no this this isn't one of the asshole Bill Maher atheists this is the good uh, sorry he's, <laughs> right. an, he's an agnostic but come on uh, just oh, I, like I don't know that's what he calls himself but he basically and it's fine uh, it's like this is the good kind of atheist you know the kind that entertains there's an idea that that there might actually be a god it's like well I think maybe you're going against certain <laughs> things and and I'm not saying that. Uh, that Christians should just be like completely stubborn and just say, well, I'm absolutely right. There's always a possibility that mm-hmm. we're wrong in anything that we think. Uh, but it's one of the, just, it's one of the reasons that I love the movie, the apostle uh-huh. is that there are good and bad and all, uh, almost all of them mean well, but maybe execute things in a, in a bad way. And, and I don't know, it's just, it's, and I feel like even now I'm not going to ask you to cut it out, but even now I feel like I'm not really putting it out there in the best way because it's just just imagine if the only way in in your own life if the only way people said okay i'm fine with what you think provided of course you think that like there you would acknowledge that there's like a maybe 60 percent chance that you're wrong and maybe (laughs) act as though you are uh yeah no i know exactly what you mean but I, i guess what i was talking more about is the idea that a character um, there was an HBO miniseries that I can't remember the name of now. Um, that Band was, of Brothers? <laughs> no, it was a much shorter one with um, where to, uh, Tony uh, Tony Collette was in it. It was about the uh, the. I think the, it's just called Tsunami. Is it called Tsunami? I think so. Yeah. Um, and that like based on the fact that I know you and I have many other friends who are uh, whose 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 belief and whose Christianity is very much a part of their identity but it's also not the only thing about them. Mm. This this character that Tony Collette plays in Tsunami really gets that more than... And, and it, it surprised me how rare that is for that to happen. And there, I'll tell you the reason I was thinking about it recently. Did either of you see Prisoners? Yeah, no. Okay, so the very first scene is Hugh Jackman um, saying the Lord's Prayer before while he's hunting, before shooting a deer. And um, my my girlfriend, who is not christian was not raised christian you know it's it's not a part it's 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 a thing outside her 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 world <laughs> in a lot of ways she felt and i think probably because of the way that it's used in the movies she felt predisposed from the first scene to distrust this character because devoutly catholic characters in movies are often distrustful <laughs> uh and i found that very surprising because i obviously growing up catholic and growing up around 
you know, my dad uh, hunted a little bit when I was younger. He kind of stopped when he had four kids and probably didn't have time to go <laughs> to get up at six in the morning or whatever and go shoot deer. But like growing up around people who hunted and growing up around devout Catholics, uh, it didn't make me feel any differently about the character yeah. that he was doing that. But to but to someone who didn't to someone who just knows Catholics from movies, they're it makes for it can creepy. It make for a very nice shorthand. You just. Have somebody with a cross around their neck. Have somebody with a crucifix in their home, <laughs> and you, you prominently show it. Uh, have somebody say not a personal prayer, but a a scripted prayer. Right, like right. have them do something like that. Um, and and it's like okay, got it. You know, there's a there's a scene in Mystic River, which I think is not great. Uh, there's a lot of good in that movie, but I think it's not the not the best film. Um, where. Uh, you guys have both seen it, I yeah, assume, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, and theaters, it's, and but, it's 10 yeah. years old. Yeah. Uh, but there's a scene where uh, a character gets, uh, a young boy gets basically carted off to go be molested. Mm-hmm. And the guy who like puts him in the car. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he puts him in the car. And then, but then there's another man sitting in the front seat. And when he leans back, <laughs> it's like this kindly looking old gentleman. And he, and I believe like as he leans back or like uh, turns back, he like puts his hand on the seat and you see that he has like a, a cross like uh-huh. ring yeah. or something. And it just, and immediately it's like, got it. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Well, thankfully yeah. Philomena takes kind of the opposite approach and uses the religion to actually endear the character. Um, though I feel, and she does have some doubts about her faith, though. I feel like what she went through warrants such oh, doubts. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. I'm okay with, I'm okay with, with doubts as long as they come like from a real place. Uh, it's, uh, I recently rewatched the exorcist and, uh, it's probably my third time watching it. And the character of father Karras played by Jason Miller is to me a wonderful depiction of, of Catholicism and Christianity. Um, I've actually never seen the exorcist. Whoa. I don't, that's not, you know, to me, that's not a jaw dropper. <laughs> that one is a, little, a great movie. It's a thing. good movie. Here's it's what it is. Great. No, no, it's not about that. It's that Scott has not seen it because he sees as you said like he's seen more movies than either of us and so horror movies are a weak spot for me i i I whiffs out for most of them oh there's weakness going on (laughs) question about that all right let's uh wrap up because you didn't see the great beauty on thursday no i got shut out of it so thursday the only thing we have to talk about is the fact that i saw inside lewin davis but i have been instructed by scott to not spoil anything i'll throw on my headphones if i got it <laughs> no i uh, throw on some sabbath actually before we before we get in there i believe you mentioned that one of the films that you saw was your second best what uh, oh yeah second favorite what is your your favorite of the uh the strange little cat which i mentioned before okay um i thought was extraordinary you saw it twice i yeah. did all right okay so um i will try to be uh it's um it's a film that i left the theater liking and have liked more and more the more i've thought about it okay. since um and i was talking to a friend and he was like what kind of coen brothers movie is it which one would you compare it to it's and it's weird to talk about them that way but it's, but it i also i couldn't really find uh a specific movie that i could say well it's more like this one okay you know and i think um this speaks to uh why it's good of you to n- avoid spoilers and not watch trailers because <laughs> i also don't watch trailers um, but also why it's a why it's a little tough. The only thing I knew going in, because I hadn't seen any trailers, I'd just seen the production stills of sort of like um, Justin Timberlake with a goofy grin or Adam Driver <laughs> wearing a cowboy hat. And so, and knowing that it was T-Bone Burnett mm-hmm. and that there was a lot of folk music, I was thinking this is, okay, this is going to be an O Brother type thing. Um, and I had that idea in my head. And having watched the trailer since, 
I can tell you that the trailer gets the tone of the film right a lot more. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't see it because mm. I liked that I was surprised that it's a uh, uh, maybe a little uh, it's a much sadder film uh, than oh, oh Brother. Um, I'm not really sure what more I can say about it. It's Bruno Delbonnel is the DP, not Roger Deakins. Hmm. Um, and I like Bruno Delbonnel. I've liked, he, he did the aforementioned Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. He also shot The Cat's Meow, which hmm. is a great film. He shot yeah. uh, Amelie, um, which is, I think, what first got him noticed uh, in America, probably. Uh, I like him, but I don't know that it was, that the look of the film was my my favorite. Um, it wasn't as sort of like, uh, you know, Roger Deakins can have a, a lot of contrast in a lot of his films and this film maybe could have used a little bit more I felt that way about burn after reading too which was shot not it was uh, uh emmanuel Lubezki. Lubezki, yeah, yeah who i love as a cinematographer yeah. but that film is like just single tones throughout the whole movie <laughs> yeah although i i like that movie quite a bit oh i do like the uh, movie i just felt like that was a bit of a weakness but uh yeah it's a it's a it's a very good movie that i it's another one like i talked about at the beginning like labor day i can't wait till more of my friends have seen it so that i can yeah. talk about it L- <laughs> because i do want to talk about the first and last scene of inside lewin davis um and what what it actually is and what it means let me let me ask you this because eventually i'm going to turn every episode back to the fantasy oscar draft now <laughs> uh, i was uh when i got around to best supporting actor i all my for like my first five choices had been taken and so i was uh torn between daniel Brühl for rush or john goodman for inside lewin davis who was getting a lot of the buzz uh, i wound up going daniel Brühl. how is john goodman uh, he's good, but it's um, it's Oscar Isaac's movie. No one okay. else really has a lot of time okay. in in the movie. Um, in a just world, Carrie Mulligan would get a supporting actress uh, nomination because okay. i've I've never I've never disliked Carrie Mulligan, but I've never been a huge fan either. She's great in this movie. Okay, she's. Like, I mean, her she. It's a thing that like the Coen Brothers can do a thing, and this is this will come up i'm sorry i have to be so vague but when once we can discuss the first and last scenes the coen brothers are good at doing things that on paper seem amateurish or broad or hokey and really pulling them off and carrie mulligan is essentially playing just one emotion the entire movie (laughs) which is fucking angry okay uh but she does it so so well and it's so funny um but uh here's what i'll say that so that inside lewin davis it's it's very good i i uh, i'd say um it's an if I were giving a letter grade, it's an A with it being an A minus on the Coen Brothers curve. Hmm. Fair uh, enough. Anyway, um, the one thing I want to say, going back to AFI and going back to the audience, <laughs> and the difference between the audience at the sc- a screening of say you know uh, Mobius or Blue Ruin and the audience at one of the yeah, gala screenings. The gala's gonna be really rough. There's a there's a part uh, the, the, there's a part in the in the movie where um, uh, I guess uh, a potential <laughs> manager uh, or, or agent uh, of musicians says to uh, to Lewin Davis about his music, I don't see a lot of money here. It's not a judge on whether or not the movie's bad. He just says, I don't see a lot of money here. Mm-hmm. And my first thought was, that's the people in this room right now for the gala. <laughs> that's who's at these galas. And it, I sort of felt... Like, I was right when I went to... I got to go, uh, as part of the gala, I got to go to the after party afterwards. I don't know if you... Uh, I'd heard about it, but... Uh, I, I don't know. About, was there one for Saving Mr. Banks? Did, did you oh, I mean, I was in the Overflow Theater, so if there oh, was, okay. I wasn't invited. <laughs> um, so, uh, that was great. It was, like, sponsored by Coca-Cola, as the the Coca-Cola was on the main... Yeah. Of, so, they're free... free uh, sorry, free rum and Cokes, folk music, 
like live folk music performances. Uh, but I did like out on the smoking patio get to talk to some people, and they didn't. They weren't as bald faced as the character saying, <laughs> "I don't see a lot of money here." But it sort of felt like they don't care whether or not this movie is good. They're talking yeah. about like the, the, they're talking about like it just how it how it felt to them in terms of. I, again, they're sort of speaking around the topic because they're at least self-aware enough to know they can't be like this manager character. But uh, it, it it sort of it, it's a it was a window into going to that gala screening, which is the only one I went to, and only one I have ever been to at AFI. Um, gave me a sort of look at a different type of uh, a different part of the movie industry. Yeah, and especially yeah for festivals, those gala attendees tend to be. People who go for the parties and the movies kind of an afterthought. Right. Um, oh, and also there's like, uh, again, <laughs> I'm so grateful to AFI. But <laughs> um, the movie sort of start at 730. It starts at 750 oh, yeah. because there's 20 minutes of the festival organizers and the producers and the stars of the movie filleting each other on <laughs> at, the, at the podium. I'm surprised before. they started doing that at 730. <laughs> right. That's yeah. unusual to begin with. But uh, uh, yeah, 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 it might have been a little after that. But, <laughs> so um, I want to make sure I, I, I know uh, what you're saying, because you, you started to say it and then you then you backtracked because you wanted to be careful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, whatever. It's uh-huh. uh, no one, no one listens to this, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. But although there are more nobodies listening to this than ever before. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Um, but uh, thanks, you bunch of nobodies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody's uh, they hosted as well. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but um, but uh, so these people they approached it from the point of view of like se- like just sellability or accessibility or, or maybe accessibility is a good way to put okay. it because they weren't talking about dollars and how it's going to do right. in the box office or just, I, just like, like i don't see this finding an audience or something yeah that sort of that's thing. a or lot of like, talk in the industry of like who yeah. made who did they make this for yeah, i remember yeah, yeah. that when hugo came out they're like it's not really a children's movie it's not really an adult's movie right yeah which yeah that's essentially what you're saying is how do we sell it yeah yeah uh and so yeah it did feel weird to be watching what is a a, a it's an art movie i mean it's not like it's not barton fink but it's <laughs> uh on the artier spectrum i would say of their films um in terms of its sort of narrative not being, uh, I don't know. I don't want to go into it. Yeah, it's and the Coen brothers, they do that a lot. You still haven't seen A Serious Man, and when I saw oh, it, man. it's the two, two I haven't seen are A Serious, a serious Man and uh, Lady Killers. Those are the two I have not seen. I haven't seen Lady Killers either, but Serious Man is one of my favorites of theirs. It's I didn't love it when I first saw it. Then I saw it again to do a More Than One Lesson episode about it. thought it was solid, and then I saw it a third time with a listener in New Zealand, uh, and that time I was like, this might be one of their best and it's astounding. But I did in watching part, I did have this thought, um, not, not necessarily in a negative way, but I just thought like, man, who, who will this <laughs> film made this way? Who will this appeal to? And then I just thought movie fans, uh-huh. like yeah. we're a demographic, we're a, a fairly small one, but, uh, but you know, that can be enough. And, uh, man, you got to see a serious man. You'll love it. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I, will. I think you will love it. I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> and you guys, you guys got to see Lady Killers. It's not very good. I've been Tom wanting Hanks, to see it. Tom yeah. Hanks is having a lot of fun. Uh, some people defend it quite enthusiastically. Those people are incorrect. Okay. Oh, the other thing that multiple people I overheard saying at the at the after party was that their favorite part of the movie was the cat. <laughs> I have heard a lot about the cat. <laughs> okay, so you have heard something about the movie. Yeah, I can't avoid everything. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I live in this world. I didn't see the trailer. I didn't know there was a cat. Okay. I knew that uh, John Goodman was getting some Oscar buzz. <laughs> okay, but not enough. Well, the, I mean, <laughs> it's going to make it sound like the movie's about the cat, but there is a cat in almost every second of the trailer. <laughs> like <laughs> the trailer is very cat heavy. 
All right. Uh, Are you sure you weren't watching The Strange Little Cat? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. But no, yeah. I mean, the, there's a cat uh, uh, that is a big part, a big sort of imp- 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 impetus uh, of things that happen in the movie. Uh, but I got to go to the after party. Uh, I love the movie. Uh, I got to go to the after party where I ran into our good friend Amy Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was a good time. I got some... They were they were pouring these free rum and cokes very strong. <laughs> Usually when it's like a free bar like yeah. that, they're kind of skimping. But and sponsored by Coke, I put in the Coke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they just wanted Coke bottles. Yeah, uh, on display, and uh, so yeah, I'm I had fascinated some very by stuff like that. It's like cokes. we know about Coke. We got uh-huh. <laughs> is know. it rum and rum and cokes or rums and Coke? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that silliness. Uh, oh, also, I got a free. Uh, copy of the soundtrack on CD. Nice. nice. I bet, oh, I bet it's great. I haven't even listened to it yet. Well, isn't the music in the movie? Uh, yeah, it is the music <laughs> in the movie, and it's as sung by Oscar Isaac, yeah. Justin Timberlake, uh, Adam Driver, uh, all these people. All right. That's it. That's everything we saw at AFI Fest. There it is. And I'll be all writing right. up all of it up for the website, too. Yeah, you want to hear about all this shit again. <laughs> I want to read... Um, weirdly, I'm looking forward to... Uh, your written thoughts on when evening falls on Bucharest. <laughs> I'll get around to it. I did expound more on the strange little cat much more eloquently than I could hear. Okay. So encourage readers to check that out. For as much as like when I left when evening falls on Bucharest, I was not particularly moved either way by it. I didn't think it was that great, but I've thought about it a fair deal since oh. I saw it. Uh, I don't know. You should see 1208 East of Bucharest. I need That's to catch up on a lot of Romanian films. I haven't even seen four months, three weeks, and two days. That's a good one. Yeah. I haven't seen The Death of Mr. Lazarescu, which was sort of, I think, Nor sort of what, I. what kicked that. A lot of people say that was uh, kind of overrated. Oh. Maybe that's just the backlash that happens. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. But uh, we got to get out There's of here. There's such a back- backlash against Romanian films, as we, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> they're basically they're basically Argo. <laughs> but you're being facetious, but they're whenever, like... Yeah, yeah. The, the cinephile community is so, like, this, yeah, it's so narrow. That, yeah. yeah, there is that. <laughs> um, anyway, we all have reasons to get out of here. Uh, you and places I, to be. You and I are both going to see Ravenous at midnight. Yeah. At the New Beverly Theater. And Scott might be coming I, along I, if okay. he's not going to be an asshole I'm about sounding it. more inclined towards it. All right. Feeling it's going to be so much fun. It's a, this is a dream 14 years. I've never seen it, so. Oh. He's never seen oh, it, that's David. so fun. Whoa. That's so fun. <laughs> uh, I've never seen it on, uh, I mean, not only I've never seen it uh, on film, I've never even seen it in HD. I've only seen it on DVD. Oh, yeah. Um, well, this will be on film because it is the New Beverly. Yes. So that's why I'm very excited. Uh, and our, our good friend Ian Brill is coming with yeah. us. Right. So um, that's what we have to do. So we're going to get out of here. Uh, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. Um, that's where Scott's write-ups are, as well, as well as lots of other reviews and links to this podcast and others. Uh, you can email us, david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other, po- other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the weekly television podcast. Can I, how many more times can I say podcast? <laughs> uh, hey, Watch This with Paul and David. This week, we'll be talking about... Uh, it's it's TBS week. We're talking about the Pete Holmes show and Bill Lawrence's new comedy, Ground Floor. Um, how is that new Bill Lawrence show? Uh I just watched the, they've aired two episodes and I didn't know they were airing. Oh, okay. Like the first night they aired two yeah, back yeah. to back and I, I only set my DVR for the pilot. Ah. I thought it was all there. So I just saw the pilot and it, um, in some ways it feels like Bill Lawrence, but in other ways it, um, feels more like TBS in mm. that it's, 
it looks a lot cheaper yeah. than Scrubs <laughs> or Cougar Town did. Uh, although Cougar Town didn't always wasn't always the most polished show, <laughs> but that felt like an aesthetic choice to me. Anyway, this isn't my TV podcast. <laughs> um, so that's that's that. Um, what else did I miss? Uh, I also write for CriterionCast.com oh, yes. if people want to oh, see my other stuff. I was going to say, what else did I miss here okay. before I throw to Scott? Yeah. Scott, where yeah. can people find you on the internet? Also at CriterionCast.com and on Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow, R-A-I-L of Tomorrow. Okay, so thank you all for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 